Leave the bats in Stillwater. Carrie Everly just threw her first career no hitter. This is a hustle play right here by Stepman. And she gets in just under this bat. She drove that ball out deep to left center, and we've got a brand new ball game. Stepman just not pulling the trigger on that. Looks like it could have been slightly low. With two strikes, that's when you have to protect off. This week's guests, yes, plural, are a couple of Aggies who happen to be kind of a big deal when it comes to softball. One is the current assistant coach at Texas A&M who works with Wood in his free time. And the other is the program director for the Texas Bombers. Please welcome Craig Snyder and Scott Smith. Gig em. Yeah. <laughs> Snyder works yeah. with Wood. That's, we had to throw that in there. <laughs> I, I will say that I've true. seen this his wood, but I mean like the real, the real, the real bark from a tree. Yeah, I've got some blue right now, and uh, I've got some red. I've got all, I've got all kinds of fun stuff going on right now. <laughs> he's good with wood. He he's good. I've seen it. Hey, for the right price, I can make anybody anything. <laughs> on a serious note, I do need. Hey, on a serious note, Craig, for real. I told my wife about the whole coffee tables and all that. It's I'm screwed. You're gonna have to just start making one. <laughs> oh man! All right. So um, now that we've all uh, broken the ice with wood jokes, uh, this week is American Craft Beer Week, and as you both know, on this show, we like to encourage drinking. So. Uh, what are you guys drinking this week? I'm going to go with a favorite, the Crawford Bach. Go Astros. There you go. Which, are, which is a really good thing, the Astros and Crawford Bach. But if you're, from, if you're from Texas at all and you don't know nothing about that blue label Lone Star Light, then you just don't know. <laughs> you just don't know. I don't know. T, T's from Arizona, so what are you drinking this week? Well, this week I have a Four Peaks Peach Ale. It goes good with my Dole Whip that I'm also eating right now, so. Oh, man. All right. I don't see – I have so many craft beers that I like, but uh, shout-out to Black Abbey Brewery in mm. Nashville and my favorite beer, which is called the Rose, and it's just it's just delicious, and I drink it at, every time I go out. Like, Have you guys ever been to a craft beer festival? No. Can't say as I've had. Yeah. Um, Texas, I, I don't go to Austin much where they have the craft beer festivals. So I'm usually in places that you just drink beer. You don't really party about it. You just drink it. So that's where I hang out most. Yeah. That was, I, th I went to a craft beer festival. The Predators have one every year and you pay like $35 or whatever to get in and you get a little shot glass and you just walk around all day and each it goes around the whole concourse of the arena so you just start at the front door and work your way all the way around and by the time you leave you're you're almost on your ass it's fantastic in tucson i went to we're a wine and beer festival but they also had food so you were noshing and drinking so it didn't feel as bad yeah no this one didn't have food everybody was just that sounds drunk. terrible it's an awful yeah. time awful yeah. terrible worst thing ever all right, so for our listeners out there who maybe aren't familiar with either of you when it comes to softball, I think just start with Craig and give us a little bit of your background in softball and how you got started. Oh, in gosh. Uh, well, this is this year, this, the COVID-19 um, season would have been my 20th season coaching college softball. Um, 37 years old, I've been doing this for 20, 20 years, so you can do the math on that one. That's a kind of an odd, odd, odd uh, thing, but... I actually started when I was um, 18 at Lindsey Wilson College in Kentucky. And so I ended up being the student assistant there for two years and then um, had an opportunity to go down to Centenary College in Louisiana, uh, where I met Mark Montgomery. Uh, he brought me down and I was a student assistant for him for two years. Spent two years so at Centenary, got my undergrad, I was done, and then uh, got an opportunity to be the GA at Oklahoma for Patty Gasso. So I was there, and then after that, I, I guess after I was finally done with school, um, I got my first real job out of out of uh, college, I guess, and I was at Stephen F. Austin here in Texas, in Nacogdoches. That's where Scott and I met when Scott had just started the Bombers, and so 
we recruited some of the first kids out of the program uh, to Stephen F. I spent four years there um, and then got a call from Lonnie Alameda at Florida State. And then, you know, spent eight years as a Seminole and doing that, won a national championship, and then got called back home to the great state of Texas this last year. And so Coach Evans called, and the Aggies made a big push for us. And here we are. We are back in the great state of Texas. So 20th year coaching college softball. Been a lot of cool places, won a lot of cool games, and met a lot of great coaches along the way. I didn't realize y'all went back that mm-hmm. far. Absolutely. Wow. So, Scott, tell us a little bit about your background in softball and how you got started. Yeah, and I appreciate it. Mine won't be near as long uh, as Craig's, but we I have been coaching about as long. This uh, 2021 will be our 20th year um, that Bombers Fast Pitch has existed. Uh, we started in 2001, and um, so that's when I started coaching Fast Pitch Softball. I had a daughter. Had my son been born first, I'd have probably never got into Fast Pitch Softball, which would have been a shame knowing how much I really enjoy it. So, um um, I was in the army. I, I played on the all army baseball team, um, while I was in the army. And so it was kind of a transition for me, uh, to, uh, to be involved in the sport mainly, like I said, because my daughter was born first. Um, and we've just kind of been at this for, like I said, for the last 20 years, Craig and I met probably 2008. Yeah. I think Craig, is that when you were at SFA 2008? I think we met in Tulsa at that, uh, at the, at the summer, t- uh, tournament, tournament they had up in Tulsa. Yeah. Me, you, yeah. Mike Lotif, and um, who else? Somebody else. We all went to eight and eight pizza. Malvo, Malvo was there. Malvo. Malvo. Um, yeah, yeah. All went eight pizza. That was the first time we ever met. Absolutely. So I, yeah, I tell the story. I tell people all the time. I knew Craig when I knew Craig when <laughs> Craig, like pre-celebrity. Like I, I was, I drank beer with him in the Axle Bar in Nacogdoches, Texas. Mm. When, when Craig wasn't like World Series Craig, right? Like I, like we are genuinely friends. Like I was friends with him when he was just hanging out in Nacogdoches, Texas, yeah. right? So, like everybody, everybody's Craig's friend now. Like I get that. Like he, you know, he, like I can't, I, you know, I have to stand a little further away from him. Oh, we're hanging out. Like <laughs> everybody's coming up to him, but I knew Craig when Craig was just Craig, right? I knew, I knew him when. <laughs> so yeah, twenty years. We've been doing this. Uh, it's been fun. And on that note, the Axe Hole Bar was a bar that we started in Nacogdoches in my garage. And so, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was, it, it, well, the, the the long story here is that a when Hurricane Ike came through, a tree fell on our house and um, it destroyed the garage. Better, so we had to redo a lot of stuff. And so, as we're redoing the garage, I was like, it'd be kind of cool to put like a ping pong table in or maybe like a bar and then then it just then it escalated quickly to like we had chalkboard paint on the walls and people would sign the walls to neon signs to ping pong tables to tvs to and then i always brought home uh, from kentucky i'd bring home some moonshine for everybody to try and so these boys down in texas didn't know what to do with that moonshine the drunkest i've ever been in my life <laughs> in my entire life happened in that axle bar and by the way, I was hitting fungo the next morning. So you can imagine what that looked like, right? Throw it up. Like I was striking out hitting fungo. Like I like, <laughs> that, that was, was one of those mornings where you wake up still drunk. You're from the night before. Well, you'd have to go on to sleep to wake up, but yeah. I mean it oh. could have. We saw the sun come up a few times in that place. Good times. Yeah. It, great time. It was the best slash worst decision I ever made. See, I haven't had those type of – I have those type of drunk nights at convention. When, yeah, I see the sunrise and then have to go sit uh, – listen to people talk at 8 a.m. It's fine. So I'm, when I say it's the drunkest I've ever been, it's legit fact. I got introduced to apple pie moonshine from Kentucky, and uh, that is not a good thing. We got it from a, the source I will not disclose, but it was, it was, made, it was made in the hills and hollers of Kentucky. Well – I think we should talk some softball stuff. I don't know about y'all, but I we like that. I uh, we've got some topics that we've written down that I think people might be interested in hearing. So, T, what do you want to start with? So, COVID nineteen has obviously affected the state of softball, and how has it affected you guys with first the collegiate season and second the travel ball season? 
Yeah, I mean, for us, obviously, it, it, it's not fun. And, you know, you you hate to end the season. And it was exciting for us at the time because we were really trying to starting to trend up and start, starting to make a lot of noise with the program. And so that was exciting for us. And then, they, you know, it just all of a sudden, it, it was crazy for us because it went from we played Texas State on that Wednesday. And before the game, our administration came down and said, hey, listen, for the weekend series, they're not going to let anybody in the stadium. And we're like, oh, that kind of sucks. Like, because we had um, we had Tennessee coming to town and it, all three games were sold out. So 2,000 chairbacks sold out. There was sold, sellout crowd for three games, legit. So it was exciting. And they say, hey, we're not going to be able to do this. So after the, after the game, we had to tell the team, like, listen, this is the decision they've made. You know, this is what's happening. Um, and then as we went back into the, uh, the offices, like I, I was on TV, I saw that the NBA had shut down. I'm like, this isn't good for us. This, I don't think this is going to end well. And so then the next day, the SEC came out and said, hey, we're going to take a three or four week break now where we won't be doing anything. We'll pick the season right back up. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, that really sucks. But now we've got to figure that part out. So we brought the team in, had a meeting with them. You know, I had a few tears, but it's like, hey, we're still getting an opportunity to play. So hang in there. Let's stay sharp. We'll get a plan together how we're going to, uh, how this is going to look. Literally an hour later, as we had all left, the NCAA announced their decision. So our kids found out via social media and everything else. And it was like, oh, that stinks. And so, I mean, we've tried to we keep in touch right now and, you know, do the Zoom calls and everything. I mean, I think I do think there's a silver lining in all this. Like, this is the first time that coaches, players, you get to shut it down. And you get, this is probably the first time you've gotten a break. And so, so I think for some of these kids, it's not a bad thing to just, you know what, let the body heal for a little bit. For coaches, it's not a bad thing. You know what, like I can't tell you the last time that I've had an opportunity to jump on so many Zoom calls and learn from so many great coaches. And so, like, I've, I've definitely taken advantage of that. And so, and it's, it's kind of caused you to be a little bit more present, you know, than you would before because there's nothing else to do. So, <laughs> you, you definitely learn to be right where your feet are all the time now. So, so that's kind of it for us. And now we're trying to just wade through, you know, um, you know, what's it look like in the fall? What's it look like now that seniors can come back and other people can come back? And now we're going to be elevated roster sizes and how to manage that. So we, we kind of toss that around a lot. But, yeah, that's it from our side. Well, and uh, just to kind of jump in with where Craig is, we, we're, we're – um, it's an interesting thing because um, we have 125 teams in our program across 17 states. So we naturally have different situations in different parts of the country. And that's been my biggest challenge is trying to figure out how to wade through giving advice to people that are in Tennessee and what their experiences are and what's happening in Florida and what's happening in Georgia to what's happening in Colorado or Texas or someplace else. So that's been the biggest challenge. Usually it's a, we can, because we, we do softball at Bombers fast pitch one way. Right. And it's been a, you know, it's pretty standard approach to how we go about doing our business. And we share that across all of our teams. And, but we've had to be a little bit different in our approach because not everybody's experiencing this COVID-19 situation the exact same. And it's not fair to assume that they are. And so that's been challenged. Um, early on, we identified, uh, I think a lot what Craig uh, pointed out was that we have an opportunity to, to do a couple different things here, right? We can really get into some education side of things. Um, when Jen Schro and the package deal um, started their softball school, um, I felt like it was pretty important um, that we give our players some opportunity to get educated and, and to learn from some of the best in the industry. So we purchased softball school for every player in the Bombers. Um, and we did that for them from the from a bomber's perspective, and I think it was one of the most uh, smart decisions we made because it gave them a little bit of normalcy as it relates to softball. Because normal now is this what you and I are doing, and so we started that on the front end with them with the softball school because Jen and those guys and Morgan and and Amanda and them were putting out such good training and such good content that I would have been, I would have felt really bad had we not done that. I'm real proud that we were able to do that. Um, and then we started creating content internally, you know, talking to coaches. Uh, we've had, we had a pitching summit where we brought in some coaches involved and started to just talk softball and um, trying to educate coaches and players at the same time. And um, 
now that has morphed into the, and I say now, I say probably in the last four weeks or so, we've started to really get heavy into training. You know, we, we allowed that body to take a break uh, that first maybe three or four weeks. Uh, but now we have a really structured approach to training. Um, we've got places around the country where small group trainings are happening, like physical ball on a ball off a bat, ground ball, throwing the live batters type stuff is happening. Um, it, here in Texas, that is happening. We've kind of scaled that. Uh, and it's been really cool to see our players get after it a little bit and in the way that we can. It's in, it's in an indoor setting, but, but at the same time, it's, it's cool to let that. So we're just hoping and allowing them to transition, right? This will be a slow transition, some faster in some places, some slower in others. But uh, I would just say that we're, we're making sure that we're here for our players, parents, and coaches um, and to try to navigate it. We don't have a blueprint. There ain't a blueprint. And we're, we're building a helicopter in flight when we're doing this. So we're just figuring out as we go. Yeah. How do you handle the, the fear of the unknown? I think that'd be a way to describe it. I, th I think, um, you know, we're looking at on the collegiate side, you have players who don't know if they can come back and play at the same school because they don't know if they have enough money. And then on the travel ball side, it's like, well, we don't know when we can actually start, right? We don't know what tournaments we can play in. We don't know. Like, we're looking – I mean, our, some of those big tournaments in July and nationals, you know, at the end of the summer, like, we don't even know. Like, so how do you guys handle the fear of the unknown with your respective groups? And um, we start with Craig. Yeah, I mean, for us, um, we, we've already established our seniors, you know, who's coming back and who's not coming back. So that conversation has been had. And, um by all accounts, it sounds like we're going to be just fine as far as playing next year. Um, Texas A&M has come out and said that we're playing football in the fall and then school's going to resume and everything's going to be status quo. And so they made that announcement three days ago, I think. So everything that we have right now is very positive. We've been lucky in the state of Texas. I think our state's done a pretty good job with this. And so um, we we don't have near the the numbers of the virus that a lot of people have. So, you know, they, Texas opened up last Friday. And so we're kind of managing that now and kind of seeing what that's looking like. But um, I think it will be interesting for us moving forward with our juniors, sophomores, and now at freshmen, like, you know, do what, what does that look like for them when it comes to that time of the, that year they can have back, you know, and how's that affect recruiting? Cause it's obviously going to be a big part of that. And so trying to figure that part out is, is really interesting right now. And a lot of college coaches are going through that. And so I, you know, I feel bad for, you know, the recruits too, because I think it's an unknown for them. It's like, well, is, is school A going to keep me now? Because would they rather have their All-American pitcher back? You know what I mean? So is that going to be less money for me? Do I get to go? I mean, there's a lot of unknowns about that. And so um, we're going to be in uncharted water for the next four years as we, we deal with that decision. Because the decision was – it was very uh, – the NCAA said, hey, you guys can do this, and they, they kind of ran out the door as, as, as they said it. It was like, oh, hey, good luck with that. See you guys, bye. And we're all like, hey, wait, I've got a question. Okay, never mind. Thanks. Well, I guess we'll figure it out. And it, and it, and it stinks too, right? Because – so you're going to have kids that have, four, have had four years at a, at a university that they really enjoy – and then they get to the end of their senior year, and it's like, you know, if a, if a coach doesn't have money for them or a coach doesn't want them back, does that leave a bad taste in their mouth now? It's like, oh, I love, I love my time at University X, but now they don't want me my last year or they don't have money for me. What does that mean? You know what I mean? It's, it's just, ugh, stinks. But yeah, we figured it out. Yeah, I would say at the trial ball level, you know, the uncertainty, the, the, uh, it's a couple, couple different layers to the question. Um, when it comes to uh, the playing side for this summer, we've just been more positive in our approach and less doomsday, right? Um, in the sense to say, we're going to play softball again. Uh, I wish I could give you an exact date, a date and time and a and tournament that we will absolutely be on the field. And uh, I'm, I'm not in that position. And certainly if you think about the scale, like I can't tell you that what's going to take place in Colorado versus what's going to take place in Texas. In Texas, it looks like by June 1, we're going to be on the field playing game team versus team, right? Um, we don't necessarily have the, the full understanding of what it looks like for fans, like 
parents being there. And that's where the Texas Fast Pitch League that we have been working as a group here in Texas uh, amongst our, ourselves, the top travel programs. The way that we dealt with the unknown was is we took it under our own control, right? Like we, we, we tried to create a lot more certainty at our level versus maybe what existed nationally. I, look, my team plays all over the country every year. Uh, we go to PGF, we go to Colorado, we play in Florida. We, we were set to play in Oregon this year. We travel all over the country. But it was very clear, and I, I mean this, and I don't mean it arrogantly. I mean it sincerely. This is the best softball team I've ever had in my life. And so for us not to get the chance to take it to PGF and to really make our claim as being the best softball team in the country really sucks. Sucks for them, sucks for, for softball right? Because t- nobody from Texas at the 1800 team has ever won PGF. We had a team that could absolutely give it a shot. And so, but we had to make a decision what was in the best interest of families and parents and kids and us imagining that we were going to be able to execute softball this summer, like we did last summer under these circumstances was foolish and unrealistic, right? That's just how we looked at it. It was just foolish and unrealistic. So and here in Texas, here's another factor, and, and this is just a Texas issue. Again, I, I, I have to talk across all bounds, but here in Texas, the oil industry has been demolished, right? And probably 50% of the people that, that and I'm, I'm guessing this number, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing a pretty educated one because um, I could use my own team. Probably 50% of my own team, and I think our, our Texas teams here uh, from our Houston area for sure, probably 50% of those people either work in the oil industry or indirectly with the oil industry. And they're financially have been very, very, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty uh, for them. Right. Uh, And so we had to say, all right, well, here's one certainty we can do. We're not going to force you to travel all over the country, get on a plane, kind of take all of your resources and pile them into this summer when we could probably come up with a more feasible way to approach this this summer and do it this way. Our intent Next summer is to get on a plane, go to PGF, and win national championship at PGF, and go to Colorado and win that, win Colorado. That has not changed, will not change, and I think a lot of people ask me about the TFL and you know, are we trying to change the sport and and make it where we wouldn't go there? And I'm like, I think we're trying to change the sport, but we're always going to go to PGF and we're always going to go to to Colorado. So I would hope that people don't get so concerned over what we're doing and just kind of appreciate what we've done. So that respect, we've done that. On the recruiting side of it, I will tell you, just like the uncertainties and the scary parts that they're having to deal with at the college level, um, I could say you could multiply that by 10 at the recruit level um, with anxiety with parents and, and how that how a kid that might be committed to XYZ college and they were committed for X amount um, and they just – I feel for the 21s. Like, I feel for them. They had the, the rule change affected the 21 class, and now this is going to affect the 21 class significantly. Um, 22s and 23s, I think it's very, very uh, troubled waters for them in a lot of ways, and we're going to have to be very serious in our approach and we handle recruiting uh, that process for them. Um, but we, I told our 20s, uh, our told our 20s, the freshmen that are going in, I said, on one hand, your, your money – is secure. Like how cool that you may be the most secure players in America because you have a signed national letter of intent, whether that's for one year or five years, right? You have something that next year financially cannot be dealt with, but you are going into a situation. Like I have a player that's going to go play at Texas A&M, my center fielder. And that player is going to go in there and now is going to have to be in the same freshman class with whoever was a freshman last year who has eight years of, I mean, eight months of being a college student and athlete who has probably 30, 35 games worth of college experience under her belt. And oh, by the way, you got to compete for her for playing time and you have to do it coming off having none of that. So your, your challenge just got exponentially tougher. Um, so I was very upfront with our players. I, I basically told them, I didn't scare them, but I told them, the world that is waiting for you is going to be very, very difficult. And our job between now and that time is to build armor on you so you are able to deal with that battle that is coming for you. And that has just been that, that simple. And we've tried to scale that down into our 21s and 22s. Our 22s are about to come up on an opportunity to commit this summer, believe it or not, 
as weird as it may seem, is about as important a summer as they ever be for them, mm -hmm. right? Um, they better be working harder now than they even thought they were going to have to. We have to be more creative in how we share their skill sets and their and their personalities and who they are with people like Coach Craig and and those guys. We've got to be very creative in how we approach that. And um, so, did, is that Brent Pinestone walked in right in the middle of a, of a Zoom call? We're right in the middle of a podcast, and you just walk in. Oh, I just wanted to introduce myself. Hey, how's everybody going? Oh, hey, Craig, come on, Craig. <laughs> Hey, and on this podcast, you can actually drink beer. What are you beer. doing? You get to drink beer. And you got would, would you go out so I can finish this? I'll come over there and talk to you in a little while. <laughs> you see what I deal with down here? You see, what I, you see what's got, got going on working right here? Hey, present yourself out the door and lock that on the way out. <laughs> so bottom line is, is we told them it's a, it ain't going to be easy. But you know what? Playing college softball ain't never been easy. It just got a little tougher. And that's just really about as simple as we've made it. Craig, how do you feel about the Ivy League's decision just to say seniors move on? The way that it's kind of affected all of these um, kind of future generations of softball players, but the NCAA preaches that you have five years to play for. Yeah, well, I think, I think that what we have to realize is it, it all boils down to money, right? And so, I mean, that's why Wisconsin said what they did. You know, it's like they, they can't you can't sustain it. You can't afford to, for that to happen. So just for an example, I think it was just in scholarships. I think some universities, it was going to be around $800,000. If all those spring seniors came back just in scholarships. So all of a sudden now you're $800,000 in scholarships. And that's not counting equipment. That's not counting travel, travel. You're up for probably 40 or 50 grand a kid per year. So it the financially, the, the, the contribution from those schools is, is really significant. So I think for the Ivies, you know, for them, it's like the athletics is athletics is part of what they are, but you're there for the education and then you're an athlete. Like they're the true student athletes, you know? And so, and, and they're also not on academic, uh, I'm sorry, they're not on athletic scholarship either. So I think it's a little bit easier for them to pull the trigger on that and go say, sorry, we're not doing that. You know, you're going to hear you get your education at Harvard and we're going to move on. And, and they're, and those kids are going to be just fine. And so sucks for their playing career you know and so and I think you know some of them have made the decision to go elsewhere and and do that but you know I think it's tough for those institutions because when when you really sat down and looked at the finances of how this was going to work again it was the NCAA going all right hey you guys can do this we're the good guys good luck and the institutions are like how are we going to pay for this and especially at the time when you know a lot of these schools a lot of us we didn't know if we we're going to have college football and if we didn't have college football that was going to be a huge, huge financial issue because so many schools already are taking budget cuts across the board and, and, and the SEC everywhere. Everybody's taking some massive hits right now. And so, so I think the smaller schools that operate at division, division one level, a lot easier for them to say, and hey, we're just not going to do that. Whereas other schools are, are going to do that, but they're now saying, hey, you know what? You can't play 56 games. You can play 40. You know, you're, you're, out, of, you're out of conference schedule is going to be – you know, two weekends and you're straight into conference. Or, you know what, we're going to eliminate the conference tournament altogether. So those talks are going on right now. They're, everybody's trying to come up with what is, what's right and what's wrong. So, I don't know, tough. I think it's tough. It's, it's a bad situation we've all been put in, but it's a situation that we have to figure out and, and move through. I think another thing that has, I guess, been the hot topic because of all of this is the transfer portal. Mm -hmm. It was already crazy to begin with. But I feel like right now it's even crazier. It's even possible for that to be a thing. Um, how do we deal with this transfer portal? I, I, I don't know. I look at it every day. I out of myself. Yeah, I look at it every day. Yeah. But it's just like, man, there's, I think there's almost 400 softball players mm -hmm. in the portal right now. And that's, you know, D3, D2, D1 programs that have folded and, you know, the, it's – I'm just like, okay, because I get texts from players saying I need help figuring out where I'm going. Like, that's where we're at with this thing because if these girls don't know where they're going ahead of time, they may not go anywhere and mm -hmm. they're just stuck. So, I guess how, you know, for both of you, just to think about it, like, Scott, like, I know you've got a ton of recruits at the D1 level. I don't know how many have gone into the portal or – have thought about going into the portal, but, you know, 
how do you deal with that? And then after that, like Craig, you know, trying to get transfers or trying to figure out the money thing. Like it's crazy. It's been interesting because, um, you know, at the, at the travel ball level, obviously the portal is, is indirectly does not, we don't, we don't have a, you know, it's not a role player for us. Right. Like uh, if a kid makes that decision, I don't have insight. I can't talk them out of it or um, whatever that might be. But um, reality of it is, is that we've been really weird. Like I'd have to, I'm going to really look back after now you asking me this question, but, but I can tell you this, like for my own team, um, we've had one, two, since the portal became existent, I, I think we have less than five players that have gone into the portal. And almost in every case, it was really the right move, like just a personal situation right it just was like mac making the move from florida state back to texas saying it like when like she's just you know texas kid right and and there's there's a lot of factors that go in that but but at the end of the day like this i think we've been fortunate that i think just a lot of our kids get the right fit they get it right right and so if you get it right then the portal thing doesn't is not as significant of a thing. Like, I think if you're getting that wrong more often than not, obviously that's where the portal comes into play. So in that respect, I'm, uh, I feel good about the fact that we've had some really good success in getting it right. And I think that the portal being what it is, like you said, loaded with players who, who don't know where they're going or how that's going to look. I think that enhances why getting it right is so important. Right? Even more important today to be able to say, listen, the rule change happened do your research, do all those things. And let's just try and do our very best. And so that's our role. That's what we feel like our role is, um, is to help people try to just get it right the first time. Right. My own daughter transferred. She did, she transferred pre-portal. Right. So I know what it's like to go through that process. It's not an easy one. It is not an easy fundamental process to think, Hey, you're going to play at XYZ school. And then you are going to go do that somewhere different. I think a lot of people think of it as free agency. It's not, it's not a real thing. Yeah, I mean, it's the transfer portal is it, it's obviously got its good and bad qualities, right? So, I mean, good qualities. I mean, I think I think what what really brought it on for us in softball is that we figured out how bad we were at early recruiting from the, the college side. Like, uh, who knew that recruiting eighth graders we would suck at it? Uh, huh? That's <laughs> weird, you know? Because like you would get you would get like if you had a class of six, you would get two out of the six correct, and the other four were like, ooh, they didn't pan out or you know, they didn't, they just, it just the way it was. And so none of us were good at it. And so I think the portal has been good in that sense where kids can find the right fit because when you're in eighth grade, you don't know what the hell you want. You just know what you saw on TV. So, Oh, look, this team's on TV. That's cool. Oh, they have a beautiful stadium. That's cool. I'm going to go there. Like there's no research. There's no, it's just shiny objects. Right. And so I think that from that end of it, it's been good. So kids could actually find that right fit and, and, and see what is going to be best for them. You know, cause again, you get, you got four years, so you want to make the best of it. Um, but obviously the, the drawbacks of it has been the tampering. Um, I think from, from other college coaches and starting to really just pick up transfers. It's all they're doing. And so they hardly recruit anymore as much as they just kind of work behind the scenes in the portal. And then, load their teams up with transfers and so and, and that's I think that's the unfortunate side of it um which you're always going to have that in sport right there's always going to be the people that push the limits there's always going to be people that work around the rules and that's just part of the deal and so but it gives the athletes an out to go do that and so let's go stack up this team for a year and see what we can do so or I'm not playing well here I'm gonna I'm just gonna pack up and leave and I think the craziest part about the portal to me is like you don't have to tell your coach so like it's crazy. Like there's nothing in life where it's like you know what I don't want to do this anymore, and you don't have that conversation with your boss or in a marriage. Like it's just you just don't do that. It's like well let's go have the conversation. Like hey coach, like or hey boss, listen, it's not for me. I'm probably going to quit. Well why are you gonna do that? Well I don't want to do that not anymore. Now all of a sudden the kids can go straight to compliance and go I'm out and they go okay. You may notify coach. Yeah you can after I'm done. Okay. Hey by the way so and so's transferring. Oh, gotcha. So I think that process is kind of broken because again, there's nothing in life that is like that. You need to have that conversation. And if that's what you truly feel, then you should be able to sit down and have that conversation and be confident in what you're trying to do. So you both coached in the league, the MPF that is, um, Craig with the USSSA pride and Scott with the Dallas charge. Talk a little bit about the league. I'll go first. My, my, 
my uh mine is a little shorter than craig's so uh yeah so it was actually the texas charge we were able to to get them to, to switch that that year i will tell you this um other than just the can i say bad words on here yes yeah. absolutely okay other than just the straight ass whoopings that craig and them gave us uh <laughs> with the pride on a fairly regular basis i enjoyed it probably as much as i have been able to do anything in softball uh, now there's pieces of it that are really disheartening to see like the number of fans in the stands and and uh those type of things but just the pure talent that exist in those softball games you can't describe to the average softball fan like they they see it but i'm talking about like when you see it up close and you see you know monica abbott throwing and you see you know chelsea goodacre at bat and you know, like, like those battles and like i mean just it's it's uh it's on a whole nother level in that respect i think my biggest takeaway too in, in respect to the league was you know i uh, I was, I'll, t I'll never forget this. I, I really appreciated, uh, obviously I've been coaching for 20 years. I, uh, I don't, I don't mistake my experience level, right? The majority of that has been at the trial ball level. Um, and our job is to develop and build players. Like that's uh, that responsibility that we have to college softball and, and beyond college softball is our job is the player development. And we take that responsibility very seriously in that respect. But I feel like I know the game pretty well. But when I'm standing in the dugout with, and I've got Haley McClinney on one side of me over here and I've got Nadia Taylor on this side of me over here and I'm hearing them talk about and we're talking about plan and approach at the plate and I'm hearing about Halo saying, hey, watch this right here. Watch how her glove's about an inch and a half below her belt. It, when she does that, she throws her change up. Right, like just seeing the the professional approach that that level of player puts into the craft of their game was overwhelming to me. And I went into it, and Craig Craig may have a very similar uh, um, insight on this, but I went into it thinking I was going to do very little coaching. Right, like that I didn't think that those players would want to be coached, much less listen to me, the travel ball guy. In my experience, I was blown away at the respect and the amount of want to be coached that was in every single one of those players. I was, it, it shocked me, right? Like I'm talking, Hey coach, can we, can we take some extra ground balls? Hey, would you mind throwing to me in the, in the, in the, in the cage and taking a look at what I'm doing with my swing? I just don't feel good today. Like I was, I was literally, I thought it'd be the opposite. Like I really did. I thought it would be like, Hey, man, I'm a pro. I got a couple rings, you know, from Alabama or this or that. And, Look, man, there's nothing that's going to come out of your mouth that's going to make jack shit for me. Like, I really thought that's what it was going to be. And I was so far – it was so far from that that um, uh, that was probably my biggest takeaway. I, I, I was, became a better coach getting to spend time with that level of player. Uh, it, it exponentially made me a better it, – it forced me to have to really coach differently when you're coaching against Craig and Travis and Lonnie and the talent they've got in the dugout over there. You better have – you better have your shit wired tight, right? Or it'll look like it did at Baylor when they beat us like 18 to nothing. Um, <laughs> I'm serious. Like, that was that was bad. That was a bad day. It was a bad day for me, like, personally. I'm just telling you. Like, I, I felt inadequate in a lot of ways, for real. And we went back and really did some, some film study, and we did a lot of adjustments, and we were able to turn the tables a little bit, and we went to, to um, T-Bone Stadium. We had, oh. we, had, we had to play them like six times in like seven days. And the amount of time and effort that goes into trying to prepare to beat a team like that, uh, I got a better appreciation for as a coach. And so it was really cool to be a part of that process. And uh, I was fortunate to be part of the league the short amount of time I was around, that the charge was around. Uh, and then we, we can get into the, to the why it has its struggles. I imagine that's probably another question. But uh, my experience in the league was awesome. Yeah, Scott, mine was the same way. I mean, I walked into that deal going, what the hell am I going to tell Kelly Crutchman that she doesn't already know or Sierra Romero and Goody and, I mean, everybody. And Because we we got to coach the the Yankees at almost. Like, it, it, we had All-Americans up and down the bench that were sitting there, you know. And, I mean, T, I mean, you played with Mo Mercado and, and all those kids and Perez and Goody. You, you played with them. And so, it was – man, it was a great experience. I, I it, But – 
Scott was dead on. Like I, they wanted your information. They wanted to know what you thought. They wanted to know stuff. And one of my favorite stories was that, you know, that was the year that Kelly, you know, hit 500 in the league. And it was cool because we had a really good relationship, you know, um, from kind of sitting in the hole with her talking plans and whatnot. And she did, she had just a phenomenal year. And, um, I'll never forget the the cool story is we were in our last year. Well, the going back to the T Bones Stadium, Scott. I don't. That was the hottest I have ever been in my entire life coaching softball. I have never been that hot in my life. Yeah, it was hot. Miserable hot. Like in in that stadium, the the dugouts with 8, were bunkers. Eight thousand people there. Yeah, with yeah. eight thousand people there. Yeah, eight thousand people there watch us play softball. They had a they had a pee bucket in the in the dugout like with a curtain. Now the girls didn't use it, you know, but they had it for the the baseball team, and it was like a bunker. And I'll never forget. I went out to hit some infield lines before the game, and I had I had a pair of gray shorts on, dark gray shorts. I got done hitting lines, and it looked like I jumped into a swimming pool. I looked at Travis, and I was like, I got crack sweat, don't I? He goes, Oh my! And we all did. It was so hot. I've never been that hot in my entire life, and. And so I could I couldn't get y'all y'all took three from us I think there or two or three and I I couldn't wait to get out of Kansas City my God it was hot but um but it was cool you know with Kelly so you know she's going having her big year and the last series there's two games left right T Will and I sat down and did the math of what it looks like for her. I think she walked through this game hitting like five oh eight or something like that so if she went uh oh for two that would put her right at five hundred. And it was kind of those things like, you know, like hitting 498 is not the same as hitting 500, right? It's 500 for the season. Incredible. And I'll never – so so she so go to the game. Sure enough, goes over to us. So we're like, hey, Kel, okay, come here. Listen, you know, we're, you're going to rest tomorrow anyway. So it's the last game of the, of, of the regular season. Let's, we want to get you ready for – have that body rested for the, you know, the um, championships. Let's over to you're at 500 now. Let's call it good. Like let's let's shut it down. Like that's that's it is impressive. Like this will go down as one of the most impressive seasons ever in in softball. She looked at us and was like, "Hell no, I'm going. I'm doing this right, damn it. I'm doing it my way, and we're doing this right. I'm going back out there." And we're all like, "Okay, all right. Guess we're going back out there." So she goes back out there. She goes over three. So drops below 500. And I'm like, "Damn it." Ugh. Should have just we should have stuck with our gut on it, but then the game went on, and sure enough, we're we're making a rally at the, in this game at the end, and um, Kelly's coming up again, right, to win with the chance to win the ball game or to put us ahead in the ball game. They put a pitcher in that we had who had picked some grips on, and I had for some reason I saw her stuff really well, and so I, I I could get stuff into Kelly pretty easy and give her information, and so she looks at me when he put her in, says she goes, "You got me." I'm like, yeah, I got you. And then in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, oh boy, this is a big one. Hey, you better get this right, coach. Like, this is not only is this to help you probably win the ball game, but this is to put her at 500 again. So let's get you ready to go here. And so, so sure enough, she gets in a one-one count. We see the changeup. I relay it into her, and she hits a home run to put us up. And she hit on plate, came in. I'm like, you're done. You're done. Back to the bench, you go. You are done. Done. No more. You're done. So, but it was cool stories like that, that, you know, you just remember and you talk, and I'll tell you what, it was cool. Kelly. Um, so we became good friends and hell, she's older than I am. I mean, damn, I always give her hell about that. Like two years older than me. And, um, she, uh, she gave me her last, uh, USA Jersey that she had when she played on the Olympic team, you know, as like a thank you for everything. And I was like, that's cool. Like that was really cool. So the games are incredible. It's just like, like Scott said, you just can't, replicate that kind of speed and talent on the on the field at one time than you can the NPF where it went wrong we we had to have it on TV and it just wasn't on TV and it damn it, that, it that's what needed to happen that game needed to be on TV more than it was now I don't know how they do that or how that makes it that's beyond my knowledge of that but it was too good where softball is now because it's on TV so much, because we have the SEC network, because we have the ACC network, the Big Ten, the Big Twelve, softball is is littered all over TV, and that's why it's the third highest watched college sport now. You've got college football, men's college basketball, and now college softball. We've overtaken baseball. We've overtaken women's basketball. It's 
people loved the game. And for us to not be able to showcase, you know, those kids or I'm sorry, those athletes on TV, that's what that's where it went wrong, in my opinion. I think it's still that way, though. You can't watch it unless you have a flow subscription. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'll be honest, I don't subscribe to flow. I'll give you. I'll give you some insight too. I, I have some deep understanding of the financial side of it, having been the general manager also, and the amount of money it takes to do an MPF team, and the amount of money to do it in that respect. Uh, I think the average person cannot fathom the dollars, and so the I think it would be really bad for us not to at least acknowledge the sacrifice made by the individuals who, who own those teams and finance yep. those teams uh, to give those kids those opportunities. You know, I'm fortunate uh, jo Joel Barsh um, uh, was the owner of the charge and the scrapyard dogs. And, and uh, uh, I'll always look back at it like he gave me that opportunity. Like he, he financed the opportunity I had to describe what I was getting a chance to describe. I mean, you just think about it. You start in 2001 coaching 10, 10 and under softball, and in 2017, you're you're coaching against the best players in the world. That that just does not that does not happen by chance. Somebody had to allow that and be part of that process. And uh, so I go back to to Joel and his and 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 I think Craig and him with you know what Don Don mm -hmm. did to help make that league be what it was. Um, uh, you just there's just not enough guys like that. That's the yeah. problem. There's just not enough of them. Yeah. And. Uh, then without the TV money, like Craig is saying, you just get into a situation where it's just sustainability becomes the key word. Can it be sustained? And it's so hard to do. It's hard to do. So speaking of new leagues, Athletes Unlimited, they, they're putting up the quote-unquote big money for the, for the softball players. And the, there's a $10,000 base salary. They're kind of doing a fantasy-type play. And what do you guys have to say about that coming from the MPF and now seeing this new league getting formed? It, it, it was a matter of time before something was going to happen, right? I mean, there was there's going to be things that probably still pop up, you know, that, outside of this because, again, the, the sport and the competition is too good. And so, I mean, from everything that I've, I've seen with this, it looks like it has a, it has a pretty good – they have a pretty good idea what they're doing because I'm sure they've taken what the – you know, maybe the league didn't offer it in the leagues before the MPF. I mean, because we had leagues before the MPF was was around, and so they're probably taking that. It seems like these the people in charge are got some like Harvard Business uh, degree backgrounds, and so kind of doing the research on them. So I got to think they have a a better idea of how to run a business than maybe I would, because I don't know, I can't spell Harvard. So you know, I think it's um, I went to I went to school to, to play play sports. That was it, and so um, but. Uh, I think it seems like it's a good idea. I, I, to me, anytime there's an opportunity for someone to continue playing this game, I love it. I love it. And so I, you know, I want the NPF to do well. I want this new league to do. I want them all to do well because you know what? If if we can have some of our, our former players go get paid to play this great game and to showcase their skills at a high level, let's do that. That's awesome. Good for them. T and I, T and I talked about like growing growing the sport but with even with athletes unlimited how's it going to grow if there's no audience like i, I think, think it's not on tv it's not on tv they're, they're gonna play in rosemont they're gonna play every game in rosemont which is a beautiful facility but you know i went to the npf championship last year it was not sold out it was maybe half full and it was between the bandits and the pride and mm. it was the pride's last year in the league there's a disconnect between the fans of the college game and the fans of the pro game when it's the same players, they just wear a different uniform. So even with athletes unlimited, if they don't have fans in the stands buying tickets or buying merch, I mean, it's not going to work. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely a kind of groundbreaking stuff with that. I mean, to me, that's why it goes back to TV revenue. They, like, you've got to be able to generate stuff outside of tickets. And so, because tickets are going to come and go. And so, you can't, you can't sustain a, a club just based off ticket sales. And, I mean, I think Rosemont's a good spot to start because I think of all the MPF spots, like, that's the most, you know, attended. The, the fans are excited about, you know, 
the 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 area i mean it's it's chicago you can't you gotta love that part and so um i don't know i mean it'll be interesting to see i mean i'd be interested to see how they get it going and i mean to me though too until until we get like a a complete backing from you know from major league baseball i mean look at look at the WNBA. like the nba supports the the WNBA. it's it's a they're together and they work together and so until we can get a partnership like that too, I think it makes it a little bit tougher because they've got a lot of skin in the game now that could really help our help us out and get rolling. And so, I don't know. It's again, those are decisions that are way beyond what I understand. But I just know the sport is too good for it not somebody to try. Yeah, and I would I would just to piggyback what Craig saying. Like, it goes back to what the word I said before was sustainability, right? Like, I think can you pull off what they're going to do this summer? Um, when you, cause their model is pretty solid in the sense to say, we're going to take travel out of the mix. Cause I will tell you right now, travel was one of the most expensive endeavors of the pro league. And so when you take that out, then that's, you can take that revenue and start filtering it back to players in regards to their bonus structure and those things. What I think is the creativity that they have associated with it, I think is some fun, cool aspects of it. So I'm a, I'm going to be a big fan and a rooter of its success. I'm going to root for its success. And, uh, and hope that the leadership involved can scale it, you know, because it goes back to the fact that, you know, at the end of the day, the product is so good. When you have a good product, you got a shot to do something mm-hmm. every time you t- do something with it. You make good barbecue every time you pull it off the pit, somebody's going to want to eat it. And uh, the reality of it is, is that the softball product is going to be so incredible that there's a shot. You know, there is a shot for it to be okay and be and be able to, to make it. The key word goes back again is just can it be sustainable? How do we, I guess, entice the fans? Because, I mean, you guys talk about having 8,000 fans at Evo Stadium, but, you know, what, what were you averaging for a normal home game? You know, like you trip at Space Coast, like it's a big-ass stadium and there are, what, maybe a few hundred people in the stands? So where, where is that disconnect and why don't – is it because it's not on TV? Is it because maybe these softball fans are just fans of their collegiate program and they cheer for their collegiate program because that's what they do? Or no, I, I would say I, – I think the answer is really pretty simple, um, is that it's like anything else. Um, like the NBA right now is considering because of this shutdown – and this situation that exists, they're looking at actually repositioning when their league will actually start and stop so that it doesn't have to go head-to-head with college football, right? Mm -hmm. And so they're being very tactical in in that move. The problem with the pro league is is they traditionally run it when their customer, which is the travel ball player, the young kid, the mom and the dad who would take their, their daughter to a game, they are traveling around the country playing, right? So uh, with the charge, we believe it or not, that I was really proud of this. We we I think if we didn't lead the league in attendance, we were number one or number two in attendance in San Marcos, Texas. But we put a we had a drum line up at the top of our stadium, like we made those games really fun to do. But our midweek games, our Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night games, almost always six seven hundred people, right? Like literally just to the point where they were packed. You play on a Saturday, we might have 75 people in the stands because those kids are at a ballpark somewhere playing. Uh, they're distracted. So the so how they strategically position those those games, that pro game itself, to happen, I think we've made some tactical mistakes in the past as a, as a whole when it comes to pro softball. Uh, I, I'll never forget the first time we played, Greg, we played Beijing. We played their first game – Beijing played. We played them in Chicago because that was their – in Rosemont, there were three people in the stands. We played at 4 o'clock in the afternoon against the Beijing Eagles, and there were three individuals. Yeah. And one of them is the, the, little, the, the, the little old black lady that comes to every Chicago Bandit game. You know yes. what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Crystal. Don't, yes. don't hate on Crystal. No, no, you don't understand what I'm saying. I ain't hating on her. I'm saying she was such a fan. She came to watch the Beijing Eagles play, right? And she was one of their three fans, right? Like, we were were the road team. And we thought, wait, wait, have they opened the gates outside? No, the gates are open, bro. Like, (laughs) 
<laughs> God damn it, get on the line. So on that note, we are going to go to the kvetching corner. Convetching? Convetching. It's mm. Yiddish. Yiddish. Oh, some convetching. People ask this dude from South Texas to say that word. Like I can literally Sounds say. Like con convetching? Convetching. 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 Tell us what you're convetching about. No, I I'm going to throw this out there right now. And I know this is a weird time. But I, I guess I get it, but also don't get it. Man, I, I, every time I open up Twitter now, I've got about 86 million notifications, and it's, it's from somebody hitting off a tee into a bow net. And I'm like, I get it. I get it because kids are trying to be creative right now, and I, and I completely support that. But there's only so many times I can watch somebody take a, a pot fly on the driveway, you know. Like, but I, 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 I appreciate the kids out there doing the work. I appreciate them doing all that stuff, but – Man, sometimes I like my, my Twitter just to be the information that, you know, I want to watch. If I want to, you know, follow CNN News or Fox News or I want to follow ESPN. But whew, every time I open it up now, like I think I'm missing things half the time because I'm like, oh, gosh, there's so many notifications. What do I do? It's like, oh, okay, do I like that? Do I not like that? Oh, wait, she tagged that coach in there. Do I need to like that because that coach is in there now? So <laughs> it's an interesting time. That's an interesting time. So that's that's me convention right there. Convention. <laughs> I'm going to get a little bit more serious with my convention. Uh, is that right? Convention? It's in the chat box. Convention. That don't mean I can – just because you put it in type don't mean I can still say it. Convention. Oh, it's a lot easier, right. to, a lot easier to say when right. you look at it. It's like a pronunciation guy. In fact, I'm really wondering if y'all came – y'all thought of that word just because you knew I couldn't say it. Because you knew <laughs> that no way that dude from South Texas is going to be able to <laughs> – We're going to give these two rednecks a hard word. Yeah, you got two, you got two rednecks on here. <laughs> one's drinking one's drinking Lone Star Light and you want me to say convention. Okay. <laughs> so my my what I'm convetching about is that I would sure love to see uh the fear associated with everything we're going on right now go the heck away. Right? Like yes. we're we're going we're a resilient bunch of people. And I promise you this, ain't nobody, if we just took the four of us right here, what, ain't one of us going to let something happen to the other that we can stop. And uh, we're going to be all right. And uh, we're going to play softball again. And we're going to do all that. So, like, I, I'm really struggling with the whole negativity aspect that a lot of people are taking with this. I think anytime we tell people all the time, like, hey, think of positive things. Like, think of a way to be positive about it. Because if we just always look at the negative end of things, then we're just – I just think it just sets us up for so many other pitfalls and failures and everything else. So I won't get too deep, especially when I'm sitting here on a podcast drinking cold beer. But, but the reality of it is I just like to see us be way more positive about everything that's going on in our life. Like, like the fact that I'm getting to do a podcast with Craig Schneider and you two, that's pretty damn cool to me. Right? Like that's how I look at it. Like that's why I look at it. I'm in the middle of the day. I'm drinking cold beer and I'm talking softball. Tell me how that gets better than that. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys <laughs> so much for coming. Craig, Scott, give us a plug for all your fans. How can they contact you? Go ahead, Craig. Like via like social medias or social media notes so they can tag you in all their in all their videos when they're hitting off a tee into a bonnet. <laughs> get some more balls hit off a tee. Yeah, that's it. let me see here. I'll, I'll tell you. The best way, if you want to follow me on here. I'm, wait, I'm waiting for this. Yeah, is at Coach underscore Snyder SB. And so send me your best video of hitting off a, a tee in, into the, the, the bow net. That's awesome. I'm pretty easy. I'm pretty easy. It's at Bomber Coach. But uh, uh, if you got something to, to reach out to me, just sort that through Craig first. Let him vet it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Give us a five-star rating and subscribe to the Running Pools podcast on your favorite podcasting service. Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even Apple Podcasts. Please give us a five-star review and leave a little comment so we know that you're listening. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Running Pools Pod and on our website at runningpoolspodcast.com.
and if and if the videos are good enough, maybe we'll retweet it on the running polls. Yes, page. that's right. That's right. <laughs> hey, hey, you'll be better if you can get Craig to run some polls. That would be better. Some video of him. Hey, ah. hey, I, I, I ran two miles today, and no, nobody was chasing me. It was the damnedest thing. Hey. <laughs> What he calls running, he's got a golf cart. It's like tricked out, like, you know, something you'd see on Pimp My Ride. He's got a golf cart. He thinks getting in that with a cold beer in his hand and driving down the street is running. I, I'm trying to convince him. That's not running, Craig. Well, I keep putting it on my app to my, my, you know, the map my run. So that way I, I, I make a couple yeah. laps and I send yeah. it to him. I'm like, see, I've been running. He his arm with his, with his Apple Watch. Like, he's driving like this right here. You ran two miles in six minutes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen the viral video of the guy in the golf cart dragging the the moms in the neighborhood and they're wagging i i threw that out to my neighborhood drinking i, I, I threw that to my neighborhood I, I, I hope i've not seen that it's a good one i'm gonna throw it i threw it out to the neighborhood say hey is anybody's down i've got the golf cart so i can i'll have the sleigh you guys bring your own kitty wagons and your drink drink of choice and i'll pull everybody around the <laughs> subdivision I, you get damn i'm sure. showing up at your house <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs>